one individual that David forgot to mention that's uh, very important in terms of living Springs Camp is the chairman of the board. His name is David Carlson. So David has a great leadership responsibility there and doing a fantastic job, and they all need our prayers. Discord, disunity, strife, violence, war. It's all commonplace in our world, in our society. Started way, way back with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's never abated. In fact, we believe that as we look at the news today, it's getting worse and worse. There are people whose lives are in constant turmoil because of conflict. And some of that conflict is not their own doing. It's because of other people and what they are doing. But I think if we're honest, there's a good portion of our strife which is self-induced. We are called to be peacemakers. In fact, in that passage in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Being a son of God, a child of God through faith, and being a peacemaker go hand in hand. The preceding verse, that verse is Matthew 5 and verse 9, the preceding verse says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart, that's where the trouble is. Trouble with the world is a heart problem. The root cause of strife is within. The heart is defiled and defiant. Jesus said this in Matthew's gospel, pardon me, in Mark's gospel, chapter 7, I think also in, in Matthew's gospel, but in Mark's chapter 7, he told us that the source of our trouble is internal, that which proceeds out of the man. That is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart, proceed evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Now, if we compare that with Paul's list of the deeds of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, we read these words. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envies, drunkenness, carousing, things like these of which I forewarn you that just as I have forewarned you before that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Because man's heart is not beautiful on the inside apart from grace, but it's ugly, it is disruptive. What comes out of it is disruptive and destructive. But that can be radically changed by the grace of God. Last week we made the point that whenever we are in conflict, God has given us an opportunity to glorify him, to benefit others, and to become more like Christ. Today we will answer the questions, how is it possible to live in peace? And why is peace so important to God? Peace is a recurring theme in the scriptures. In fact, peace is part of the character of God. We can say God is holy, 
He is just, he's merciful, he's loving, he's mighty, he's faithful, he is wrathful against sin. But God is also a God of peace, Romans 15:33. Now the God of peace be with you all. 2 Corinthians 13:11. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. There's a beautiful benediction in Hebrews 13. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. The God of peace brought up from the dead the great shepherd of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we shall see in a few moments that the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, and peace with God and peace with one another go hand in hand. So God is not distressed or in turmoil. God is not frantic or fearful or wringing his hands. He's at utter peace within his nature. And the closer we get to God, the more we know God, the more peaceful and peace-loving, and peace-making we become. Peace is one of the blessings God gives to those who humbly follow him. It is the God of peace is eager to give us the peace of God. Philippians 4, verse 7. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. That's what God wants to do. He wants to bless all of us with peace. That's a promise. So why are we often distressed, disturbed, discouraged, unhappy, agitated, angry, miserable. Well, one of the possibilities is that we are not saved because we, we have peace with God only if we are justified by faith, Romans 5, verse 1. And we have the peace of God when we submit to the controlling Influence of the Holy Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So we have to make sure that we know the Lord Jesus Christ because many of our conflicts, much of the strife and the anger and the lashing out could be due to the fact that our hearts are not renewed. We don't know Jesus. We may not be praying as we should. One thing that's common to all of us is a measure of adversity. Your life is not trouble-free. My life is not trouble-free. We face hardships and heartaches, and often they weigh heavy on our souls. So what are we to do? Well, many portions of Scripture could be read, but a familiar one is Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. P- prayer and peace, trust and tranquility, surrender and serenity go together. We need to pray. Another reason that we do not have peace is because we are knowingly rebelling against the will of God that he has revealed 
in Scripture. In other words, we are living in sin. Psalm 119, verse 165. Those who love your law have great peace. Those who delight in, accept, live under, obey the law of God, have great peace. God blesses us with peace if we delight in his law and obey it. When we consider the widespread conflict so obvious in our society, in the world, it can all be traced back to the stubborn, selfish refusal of people to acknowledge God and follow his ways. The vast majority of people in our culture do not know the law of God. If they know the commandments, they don't care about the commandments. They chafe against the law of God. They say, I won't do it his way. I will do it my way. Their mindset toward God, Romans 8 verse 7, is one of hostility and arrogant defiance. But we're told in the book of Isaiah, chapter 48 verse 22, there is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. And even looking at our own lives as Christians, if we do not confess sin, if we do not acknowledge sin, confess it, forsake it, we will not have peace. There's another cause for lack of peace, and it affects, it afflicts many people, and that is a medical condition which impacts our emotions. And I'm not qualified to say much about this. However, some malfunctioning of our bodies can have a significant negative impact upon our emotions. The great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon struggled with depression most of his life, if you could imagine that. A great preacher like the... And he had a physical condition which contributed to his battle in that area. So we must not minimize the connection between the health of our bodies and the state of our, of our emotions. Having said that, and in lieu of that, in, 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 in view of that, we may need medical assistance, and we should avail ourselves of that. Having said that, because I feel miserable does not give me a justification to act miserable. Uh, if you read the biographies of some of the great men of history, John Calvin, William Wilberforce, a very sickly man, Charles Spurgeon I just mentioned, David Brainard, who died at age 29, William Carey, missionary to India, William Tyndale, first translation of the English Bible, suffered greatly in his body, and the Apostle Paul, all endured some uh, tremendous suffering in their body, which affected them physically and emotionally, yet they were not miserable people. They were not unhappy people. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we discussed this briefly in our Sunday school class this morning. The Apostle Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. He had received a great experience of being caught up to paradise. And to keep him humble, to keep him humble, he was given a thorn in the flesh. Apparently that term for thorn is not a little a sliver in the finger, but a long spike, six inches long or so. So it was some painful 
physical uh, condition. It was given to keep him humble, and he prayed, he implored the Lord, take it from me. I cannot be effective if I feel this way, if I have this agony. God said, no, you can't be affected if you don't have the problem. We don't look at infirmity in that light very often, but that seems to be what the Apostle Paul is saying. So, rather than get mad at God, he, he accepted this difficulty, this problem, this hurt in his body. God said to Paul, God says to us, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So Paul goes on to say, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. So rather than take away the problem, and I don't think it's wrong to pray if we have a physical condition or whatever, to pray to God to to deal with that, to take it away, but if he doesn't, then he can make us into better believers, more spiritual people, more effective Christians with the infirmity because of his grace. Now, nothing reveals God's concern for peace more vividly than his decision to send his beloved son in the words of Zechariah in John and Luke 1, 79, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus was sent to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus' mission was one of peacemaking. Long before he was born, in the book of Isaiah, 700 years, he is called the Prince of Peace. In Ephesians 2, 17, he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. In the context, it's referring to the union of the Gentiles and the Jews. There's a breathtaking promise, a breathtaking promise from Jesus. Listen to this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Another place it says, my joy I give to you. What could be better than the peace of Jesus? Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The supreme peacemaker is Jesus Christ. Now, there are three, three dimensions to this peace. Of course, there is peace with God. In our natural state, in our natural condition, we are enemies of God. We are alienated from God because of sin. We are hostile to his law and his lordship. And until that root of rebellion is removed, there is no peace. And that root of rebellion is removed only through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, he made peace through the blood of the cross. There is no possibility of authentic, genuine peace apart from Christ. People who are at war with God, who are hostile to God, who are fighting God, are usually at war with people and in turmoil within themselves. In redemption, we are reconciled to God and our rebellion against God ceases and our alienation from God comes to an end and there is peace. Peace with others. We enter into a state of peace with God through Christ and that becomes the foundation with all of the resources to live together in peace. It's not merely the absence of overt 
hostility. Peaceful living in the body of Christ in our homes with other people is more than stoic acceptance of something we can't change, more than grudging toleration of another person. The unity spoken of in Scripture is deep affection, visible harmony, and active goodwill. And that unity greatly affects our witness for Jesus Christ. Now, Romans 12, verse 18, if possible, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. This lays down an important truth. If somebody else doesn't want reconciliation with us, it will not happen. We can talk to them, we can pray for them as we should, we can desire it, we can seek it as we should, but if they do not want it, because two people must want to be reconciled, there can be no reconciliation. There can still be love in our hearts. There can still be a desire to pray for them in our hearts, but not reconciliation. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And sometimes that peaceful experience and relationship with somebody else will take years and years and years to become a reality. And we must pray for it. And then peace within ourselves. Genuine inner peace is essential in order to seek peace with other people. People in turmoil cause trouble. Inward peace is the fruit of acceptance by God and confidence in God. He bestows tranquility and contentment and order and rest. So inward peace is the gift of God. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, the steadfast mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for in the Lord, in God the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. The steadfast mind is in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Someone has written that peace with God, peace with each other, and peace with ourselves comes in the same uh, package. We need to remember, too, that Jesus' reputation is at stake when there's conflict, be it in the marriage or in the church, in some other relationships. Jesus has put his reputation in our hands. And when we seek peace, when we love one another, when we strive for peace, when we pursue peace, it gives evidence of the transforming power of God's grace in our lives. In John's Gospel, chapter 17, which is the high priestly prayer of Christ, Christ praying to God the Father on our behalf, in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also who believe in me through the word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And then, of course, in John's Gospel, chapter 13, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When the love of God controls us, we will want to live at peace. We'll do everything we can without compromising Scripture 
to be at peace with other people. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 that seeking reconciliation, seeking peace, takes priority over worship. And if we are retaining, maintaining some attitude, some hostile, angry, upset attitude towards someone else, and we're not working on it, we're not doing anything about it in our hearts or with someone else. Matthew 5 says, go and do what you can to make it right, then come and worship, then come and offer your gift at the altar. Satan is the enemy of peace. His name means adversary. He promotes conflict in any way that he can. He wants us to retain our anger. He wants us to get upset, to get mad, and then to hold on to that anger day after day after day. If we do that, we're playing into his plans, into his schemes. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. We give the devil an opportunity. We allow the devil to win if we maintain hostile, angry attitudes in marriage or in the church or in other places. I believe that Satan also motivates false teachers to uh, alter the gospel in a way that takes the focus off of Christ and the cross and onto ourselves. Second Timothy chapter 3, we read these words. In the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. We're told in our culture that's a good thing. And there's a Christian spin on this that says, yeah, you need to love yourself. No command in Scripture to love yourself. None. It's assumed that we do. And we do. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, Brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. You can see that with that, those kinds of qualities, negative qualities, existing in our hearts, there's not going to be a whole lot of peace anywhere. That has to be dealt with. One of the words we hear a lot these days is the word proactive. We need to be proactive as opposed to reactive. Proactive means taking the initiative to deal positively with a situation before it occurs rather than react to it after it occurs. It's acting in advance to deal with a difficulty, with an expected difficulty. Now, when there is conflict, when there is difficulty and, and, and division in a relationship, we still need to be proactive. We need to not just sit back and say, when the other person who's upset with me and who has hurt my feelings, when they get around to coming and asking for forgiveness, then I will see if I want to be at peace with them. That's not to be proactive. Psalm 34, 14, depart from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. Don't wait for it, pursue it. Romans 14, 19, so pursue the things that make for peace 
and building up of one another. Pursue means intense effort, deliberate determination to go after something. The things that make for peace, what are those things? They're in the Bible. We have the qualities, the virtues that make for peace. They're in Scripture. Building up one another, not tearing one another down. Romans 15, 5 to 7. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The source of this desire to persevere, the capacity not to quit, not to give up, not to throw in the towel, comes from God. May God give you perseverance. May he grant you encouragement to be of the same mind. It is a collective responsibility with one accord, with one voice. It has an ultimate goal, the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind. Now, that does not mean there's not room for a measure of a disagreement in marriage or in the church. We have differences of opinion. We, we certainly do. But that should not destroy love or unity in the relationship. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, live in peace. 1 Thessalonians 5, 13, live in peace with one another. Again, Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and sanctification. Now, the opposite side, that if we don't do that, if we don't pursue peace, if we don't go after it, this is what happens. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. If we come short of the grace of God by not pursuing peace, what happens? That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and many are defiled. Could there be something in our life, in our relationships, that is not being handled God's way, and there is a root of bitterness because we have fallen short of the grace of God? We haven't asked for it. We have settled for our emotions. We have settled for our feelings. We have said, I have a right to feel this way and act this way. And God says, no, you don't. I have power. I have grace to give to you. One of the most, one of my most favorite and disturbing texts in all Scripture is in Ephesians chapter 4. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So what is necessary for this worthy walk to which we are called? With all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be proactive. Be deliberate. Be intense. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Proud, aggressive, argumentative, self-centered people are peace breakers. They're not peacemakers. So how do we make all this personal? Well, you need to start at the right place. Are you at peace with God 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you been reconciled to God through the blood of the cross? That's where it begins. It has to begin there. That's where we are forgiven, where we are cleansed, where our heart begins to be changed. We receive the Holy Spirit at that point. Are you at peace with other people? If not, why not? And what is your responsibility in that relationship? Are you experiencing the kind of inward peace that the Bible talks about? Are you restful or restless? Tranquil or in turmoil? Are your thoughts controlled by self or by the spirit? Is there something about your current attitude and actions that is causing friction and disunity in a relationship, marriage, extended family, church, work? Will you humbly ask God to forgive you and renew your heart? Have you considered how disunity and strife bring shame to the name of Jesus? Sometimes in the heat of the battle, we don't think about that, but that's a real important truth to consider. So Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Seek peace, be proactive and pursue it. Live in peace. Live in peace. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's so much truth, and I've rushed through a lot of stuff, but most of these verses are in your notes. Maybe reflect on this, because there's not one of us, including myself, who does not have situations with other people that are difficult. And you need to keep looking at yourself, not just blaming, although they may be primarily at fault. I'm not denying that as a possibility. Still, my heart needs to be gentle and gracious and tender. Live peaceably with all men. I want us to sing in closing a hymn. It's an old hymn. Lanka River Glorious. Just as you read the words on the multimedia, just listen to those words and pray as you sing this hymn. Like a river glorious. <laughs> 